The spies have returned. They've uh, developed the outlook. Joshua's heard from the Lord. And in Joshua chapter 5, verse 1, it says, So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kingdom of the Canaanites were by the sea, and we'll see that that's the Mediterranean that we're talking about, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over. Note the pronoun, we, at this point. So that's a change in authorship a little bit here. And their heart melted. And there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. I'm sure that these uh, enemies of Israel had uh, been sort of bolstering themselves and developing plans and thoughts and outlook and, you know, preparing. And now Israel has amassed on the opposite side of the Jordan and they're thinking, okay, like they're, they're going to build barges and they're going to, you know, I don't know what they're going to do. They're going to, you know, assemble a bridge. They're going to, uh, you know, and then they march down with the ark of the covenant. And when the priest's feet hit the water, the Jordan just dries up. That has got to just take the wind right out of the sails. You know what I'm saying? For these enemies of Israel to see that God is this powerful on behalf of Israel is really disheartening. We hear it here. that Their hearts melted as a result of this. This is the God we serve. Let's, let's remember that, right? Uh, we see certain decisions made in the Supreme Court or who knows whatever uh, causes our heart to melt. I would encourage you to remember the works of the Lord and understand that's the God that you worship. Verse 2, at that time, <clears throat> the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself, and that, that would also mean the entire nation of Israel. Joshua isn't going to handle the surgical process himself for the entire nation. Circumcised the son, uh, sons of Israel at the hill of foreskins. No wonder they named this location what it's called here. Uh, in this uh, situation, this is the wrong method, okay? It, you do not circumcise your fighting men just before they go into battle, okay? That is going to slow down the entire process, right? You got to understand uh, what the Lord is doing here, right? Before there can be victory, there must be consecration. These men cannot serve the Lord while they simultaneously are not seeing God's fulfillment in their own lives. Obedience has to be present in order for God to have the victory. And right, those of us that have studied through know it's God that has the victory here. Yes, they are fighting men. Yes, they have skills. Yes, they have prowess. But this is God's victory. And if these men are not obedient and not compliant with the Lord, there will be no victory. There's not going to be a conquest here. 
Verse 4, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. Uh, there's a degree of disobedience in this. There's, there's uh, also a degree within this of foreshadowing uh, in that uh, each generation has to have its relationship with the Lord. You, you cannot rely upon the previous generation's relationship with the Lord. It doesn't matter if your grandfather was Billy Graham. Right? You've got to have a relationship with Jesus yourself. doesn't matter how deep your parents may have been, how involved in the church they may have been. You've got to find your own commitment, your own relationship. And, and you know, obviously, we're going to talk in detail about the symbolism of this circumcision and spiritually what it means. The removal of the appetite of the flesh taking away the flesh uh, and the appetites. So here, uh, those that were in the wilderness had come out, had not been circumcised. Uh, a few supportive passages. Uh, you can turn or just make note of Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scripture might have hope. So, so the things which sort of seem disconnected, you know, we look back and go, well, that's Old Testament. That's of the law. Uh, well, right, it's a foreshadowing. But, but here's the thing. It has very direct application for us. And if we relegate it to the past, it's an unfortunate thing that the modern church is doing of disregarding the Old Testament. Not not finding great depth there and learning. Uh, those things were not just the old history and, oh, hey, let's, let's get into the modern application. You know, let's, let's concentrate on Jesus. Yeah, no, when you look at the Old Testament and you see even occasions such as this uh, with circumcision, you're looking at Jesus. And, and we'll examine that. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, from the English Standard Version, the Lord said, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. Okay, look, uh, you know, we often, you know, if we talk about circumcision, we only want to talk about it in the New Testament sense. And certainly, you know, that's really the only requirement is the spiritual sense of, of the heart. Uh, but in that, even the Old Testament is telling us that the Old Testament circumcision had to do with the condition of the heart and the stubbornness of the heart, right? Which uh, stubbornness leads to a rebellion, and uh, you know, rebellion is equal to the state of witchcraft. Anyone who would say, you know, and stubbornness, as Samuel said, is equal to idolatry. I mean, uh, what foolish Christian would ever say, yes, I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm, I'm also engaged in witchcraft. <laughs> you know, you know I, I also worship idols. Right? I mean, it just sounds stupid. 
you can't be rebellious to the Lord. You can't be stubborn against his will and simultaneously be a compliant Christian, a fruitful Christian. We have to be uh, tender, sensitive to his leading and what it is the Lord has us. Even in an Old Testament sense, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Right? We've all had tender moments where we had realized our drifting and our distance, been to the conference, been to the gathering, and there you're cut very deeply by the word of God, and your heart is laid bare, and you cry, right? You cry as though you're being circumcised, right? The pain and the wailing and the great sensitivity to God's love, to loving God, the need to love God, the recognition of I don't love God the way that I should. This is the depth that the Lord is trying to create in us. Uh, you know, certainly, you guys, it's important that we recognize uh, that the Lord gives this ritual and symbol to his people. And, uh, you know, talk again about the fact that we ask that the younger people go to appropriate age-level Bible lessons in our children's church because the circumcision physically was to say that the men of my faith will be marked sexually as different. Their sexual organ will actually bear the marks of their faith. The world is so wicked in this regard. Uh, you know, I, I, you're looking around now, right? It's been sort of creeping up, right? Frog in the pot. Turn the heat up slowly, right? Throw him in the boiling water. He's going to do everything he can to get out. Turn the heat up slowly. Kill him in the process. Our culture has increased, increased, increased the perversion over the years. And now people are freaking out about what are they giving my, you know, second grader in public school? What is this literature? What is this class? Why are they, how come, you know, drag, uh, you know, queen is reading stories to uh, how, in kindergarten. How could, what is going on? There needs to be a marked difference in the life of believers in the heart and the mind. And, and this is, again, I'll jump forward to, uh, we need to be involved in those settings. Pray right now. Ellsworth School District, whether you're aware of it or not, is wildly out of control. And part of the reason is that the only people that can vote as to who's going to be on the school board are residents of Ellsworth who have their children enrolled. So that is very liberal and makes it such, well, uh, right now there's a fight on and people aren't aware of it because all these other townships around, which are much more conservative in their mindset, send their children there, but they're presently not allowed to vote about who's on the school board. So they're fighting for the change to get on the voting rolls so they can vote for who gets to say what about what's going on with their children. And man, is that school board in opposition to it. 
They because they know if this voting change occurs, that whole liberal left wing LBGTQ agenda is going to go in the trash can. So pray and get involved. Some I can't name names, but some of the people that are here and involved here are part of that movement to change all of that. Salt and light. Proactive, right? Conquering for the Lord is what we need to be doing. And how do we do that? We consecrate ourselves. And then we follow the ark and we follow the Lord in his presence and we let him go before us and bring down the walls of opposition. So here, they're called to circumcise uh, their hearts. I just want to give you a couple New Testament references in regard to this, just to really set the tone. Colossians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And you are complete in him, meaning Jesus, who is the head of all principality and power. In him, you were all circumcised, with a circumcision, not a circumcision made without hands. That's how it's uh, laid out. By putting off the body of sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, we, uh, you know, as Gentiles, don't have to go through this process uh, physically in order to somehow religiously be accepted. Why? Because we are in Christ. And Christ fulfilled all of these things in his own life. When he said to Telestai, right, it is finished. It was all things are finished in him, and we are in him. So he has fulfilled that for us. Again, I just give us this mindset. Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 25, says, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if any uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward of the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose practice is not from men, but from God. Obedience of the heart, submission of the heart is what we're talking about. And even within this setting of Israel being circumcised before they go in to see Jericho conquered, it's about the condition of the heart. They're presently not compliant, and they're being brought into compliance. Right? They're, they're, they're being brought into obedience. So, this continues in verse 6 for the children of Israel. We're back in Joshua chapter 5, verse 6. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war, who came out of Egypt, were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And that disobedience uh, was tied to some of these details, but more importantly, they had come to the promised land sent spies in, 
listened to their evil report, let their hearts be filled with doubt, which became rebellion. They refused to go into the land, and their doubt conquered them. And then they wandered in the wilderness until they were all dead. So the disobedience was not going in and seeing the Lord conquer the land. To whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers. That he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. That was the promise of God. And the reason that he didn't give it to them was because of their disobedience. Verse 7. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So now that they've come to the fulfillment of God's promises, obedience is required. And there's something about that. You know, the, the greater picture that if you've been walking in faithfulness with the Lord, but you also know you haven't entered fully into God's promises and you certainly haven't seen those fortified things in your life conquered by the Lord, then consecration is what is needed. The obedience to the things the Lord is calling us to personally, that's probably different for you than it is for me. But we're going to see it the same way. The things that the Lord has called us to do that we haven't seen fulfilled in our lives. Consecration, uh, separation, allowing the Lord to work. We'll examine that a little more specifically. Verse 8, so it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. I would imagine so, you know, not a lot of pick up football games going on that afternoon not, you know not a lot of frisbee playing just still quiet you know healing happening as they waited for the fulfillment this concept of making yourself vulnerable right in front of your enemies the unbelieving world it doesn't make sense from a human perspective. Uh, some practical applications, things I just talked about. Putting your children in private school. Homeschooling your children, right? Going to catch a lot of flack from the people who are making yourself vulnerable. How are you ever going to do that? You don't have enough time. You don't have an education. You're not a teacher, you know. How will those kids be socialized? That's the one I always like. You, you hear that all the time. Yeah. Here, here's something to think about, right? Uh, I could go so many directions with this uh, from an education point of view, uh, from an experiential point of view. Um, uh, the one thing about homeschooled children uh, that is always very interesting is that they're far more social than children that attend government school systems. That's very surprising to people. When you talk to people, they're like, really? I don't, you know, often they'll say, like, I don't believe that. They'll just renounce that. Well, here's the thing. The government school system is designed around segregation. This age group stays with this age group. And even when they're allowed to socialize, they polarize. Right? They don't interact. 
The ones that do have settings within the public school system where that is done, special education processes that happen, those become much more social children. Within the setting of private school and homeschooling, they often are bridging those gaps and working with higher grades and lower grades and fellow students. Every one of my daughters throughout their life, people came to us and said, your children are homeschooled, aren't they? Just out of the blue. Uh, yes, they are. Why, why do you recognize it? What do you say? Because they're not afraid to talk to any age group. That was the thing that was noted. They'll talk to very old people. They'll talk to very young children. They interact with everyone. Right? We're not categorizing them in strata. Oh, how will they ever be socialized? Right? You say, I believe in creation, not evolution. They say, oh, so you reject science. <laughs> right? When in fact, right, you know, you very often know more about the science than the evolutionist. You, you, you very often know far more. You make yourself vulnerable when you stand up and you declare your faith to the world. You open yourself up for attack. That's something you want to do. Okay, these men said we agree to the circumcision. And we know, right, if Jericho finds out, what are they doing? Circumcising all their men. Everybody get your sword, right? And they're going to head right over. They're making themselves vulnerable. The attack would have been easy or much easier at the moment without God's protection. From a human standpoint, from a human standpoint, making yourself vulnerable is not logical. From a spiritual standpoint, it's the greatest thing you can do. It's the great, what, you tithe? You barely make, make enough money right now. Right. Yeah, no, I'm trusting God with the resources that he's given me. And then he blesses me in the process. The world isn't going to understand that, and they will attack. Be prepared for that. Many applications. Find your own, right? But that idea of making yourself vulnerable in the process of consecration it ends, up being the, it ends up being the most beneficial conduct you could proceed in. That's, that's the greatest thing you could do, making yourself vulnerable in those moments. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now listen, if you uh, study and run into certain scholars who try to uh, do an attachment of Golgotha and Gilgal, uh, it's inappropriate, okay? Uh, it's good, it's quaint, it's nice, I'm glad they're trying, but it, there is no actual linguistic connection here. It's the place of remembrance. God is removing the reproach of Egypt. You say, well, he's already done that. Well, not really, why? Because of their rebellion. God took them out of slavery, right? Brought them through baptism, the Red Sea, brought them to the place of victory, and they said, no, nah, I'm not interested. Okay, well, then let's go die <laughs> for 40 years. And, and then when, when, listen, here, do the self-application. When is the removal of shame from sin found? When they obey the Lord and the Lord has victory in their lives. That's when. Not until then. 
It's, it's a dying process until then. So now I'm going to roll away the shame of uh, Egypt. And there's a few things about this, right? Gilgal, the place of memorial, just think of it that way. The 12 stones stand there from the middle of the river, right? Somebody else see 12 stones and say, well, whatever, you piled up 12 stones. Uh, that doesn't matter. You can view them any way you want to. You weren't here when I walked past those stones in the river, right? Priests walked in, river rolled away, water piled up. I walked through on dry land. I saw stones. We picked them up. We stacked them up right here. Seems meaningless and stupid to you. Every time I see these stones, I remember the work the Lord did. And here's the thing. For this generation, this reminds them of the Red Sea also. They weren't present at the Red Sea, right? They heard about the Red Sea growing. Were you present at the Red Sea? No, you weren't present. I wasn't present at Jordan, but I got my own pile of stones in my life. I got my own things. I actually have articles of remembrance from my past that were taken out of my life. From when the Lord, you know, I've got all of my court documentation neatly filed away from where I surrendered my life to the Lord. The process I went through. That's my pile. I got my pile. You need to have your pile. And you need to periodically come back to it and look at it. Because it will point you to these stones. And it will also point your mind back to the Red Sea and Egypt and Abraham and even Adam, right? This, this, this moment of remembrance, it belongs to this generation, but you need to have your own location of Gilgal where you are continuously in remembrance. Your, your pile may look very different than somebody else's, right? You know, there may be some seriously scary, ugly stones in one person's pile, and maybe yours are all beautiful and polished. But they're still the things that the Lord brought you through. And they are still piles of remembrance for his work in your life. Now, in verse 10, they're going to remember Passover. This is only the third time in the nation's history that they've celebrated Passover. The first was the original Passover, second in Deuteronomy, and now here they come for the third occasion of remembrance. And there are some very interesting things as we examine this. The children of Israel encamped at Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight in the plains of Jericho. In the plains of Jericho, in full sight of their enemies, they are celebrating the Passover, and they're doing it on the very same day that God brought them out of Egypt. The, the, the Lord's timing. Have you experienced the Lord's timing? Right? Where, you know, somebody else might not even recognize, but you recognize, ooh, you know, this is exactly so many days, this is exactly so many months, exactly so many years since a certain thing. And I can see the hand, somebody else might not see the hand of the Lord, and you see the hand of the Lord in his working, what he's saying to your heart in that moment, and the way that it has such direct application 
You know, only you can take uh, the historic experience and interlock it with the word of God and say, oh, my goodness, look at how these things fit together. Uh, Here, the fulfillment of the Lord's promises in their lives. So now we need to examine Exodus chapter 12, verse 48, where it says, when the stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and let him come near and keep it. And he shall be a native in the land for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. So if you're going to celebrate Passover, which is the fulfillment of the Lord, uh, that has to happen with a circumcised heart. The flesh has to be removed in the process of this. Now, something to consider uh, as they look at this situation is the way the Lord is going to provide for them. And it's happening they're going to experience a second and a third day in in uh, what the Lord does. Uh, the uh, continuation uh, in verse 11, they ate the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after. After they had eaten the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. So interesting because you have uh, the Passover and the day after Passover, right? And then the day after that is when the manna ceases and they now experience the livelihood from the Lord's promises, the land that they're in. That's that's the day of resurrection, you guys, right? Jesus is crucified and buried and then resurrected. The resurrection, so symbolically foreshadowing the fulfillment, the fruitfulness happens in the resurrection of Christ. Now, for yourself, right, there is that first experience with the Lord where your sinfulness, your bondage, and he frees you from that, you know, death. He delivers you out of that. And as you're delivered out of that, then, you know, the Lord's miraculous provision is seen in your life. We've talked about this recently, how in the early days of our walk with the Lord, he's just there all the time, and you just get to experience wonderful things that are very convincing that, hey, the Lord is with me. This is a great and wonderful thing. Then later, it's almost like now you got to fight for it. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, the Lord is still with you. Uh, his powerful, miraculous hand is still there. But it's the resurrected life. It's, it's the newness in Christ. Right. Uh, uh, I would encourage you maybe right there in your Bible to write, write Romans chapter 6. Okay. And I'll just give you a few verses and you can contemplate this and then today uh, you know maybe you could find some time to really just read the whole chapter it's not long but Paul asks that question right uh, what then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound certainly not how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it or do you not know that as many of us as who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death that just as Christ was resurrected into a newness of life even so we also should walk in a newness of life his new life after the resurrection was, 
you know, seemingly visibly much more powerful, passing in and out of rooms, through walls, you know, untouched by the world. Uh, he, he had a supernatural presence and power he hadn't demonstrated prior to his crucifixion, death, burial, and then resurrection. There was a power to his life that hadn't been present visibly prior to that. So it is with us. You know, the, the resurrected life in Christ needs to be a powerful, victorious one. If it's not, then you really could ask yourself, have I died yet? Have I been laid to rest? Am I truly in, you know, I've gone through the symbolism of the baptism, but have I actually let my flesh die? Or is there a circumcision that still needs to take place? A cutting away of the appetites of the flesh. Uh, so that, the, that I could have, right? You know, the manna, we all enjoy the manna, but if, like, if we've, we've entered into the baptism and now seemingly like the manna is not present, and where's God's presence? And why this, you know, why am I being defeated? Uh, you might want to examine, uh, it, it has the consecration occurred, right? Have you allowed Christ to fulfill what he needs to fulfill in order to, you know, move past the Passover and into the resurrected life? They ate the produce of the lamb on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year, you know. You can, in laziness, you can sort of look at it like, well, I, I much more enjoyed it when the manna was just present every day. <laughs> yeah, now you got to work for it. Now, now you got to fight for it. Now, now you've got to conquer things. Why? To see God's promises fulfilled. Uh, to see a greater, you know, source of life. I, uh, I am always blessed to see my children gain their independence, develop their own families. You know, I love having them around. You know, I, I'm, I'm not burdened by them, but it, it is a wonderful thing to see them enjoy their own life, their own freedom, their own family, their own independence. Christ desires a similar thing for us. Now, uh, this Passover, the day after Passover, the resurrection day, the man is stopping on resurrection day. John chapter 6, verse 31, confrontation between the religious leaders and Jesus. They say to him, our fathers ate the man in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. The longing of our soul is only satisfied in Jesus. That's it. If we're pursuant of any other thing, trying to quench that desire in our lives it will become a very unhealthy obsession 
because it is, in fact, a form of idolatry. We're replacing Jesus with something, which is what they were trying to do, right? They saw Jesus feed 5,000. And they show up the next day and they were like, you know, we'd love to have lunch. And he says, well, yeah, I'm paraphrasing the whole thing. But you're basically, you're here for free lunch. That's all you're here for. No, no. We, we love you and your teaching. And what did he say to them? I've quoted it many times, right? Uh, well, if you're going to follow me today, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they did not have the concept of, you know, uh, that being communion. That that just sounded like cannibalism to them. They were grossed out and they left offended. And Jesus let them go. He let them go. Why? Because their obsession was an earthly thing. It wasn't truly the manna, which is Jesus. Their obsession was not Jesus. We are designed to worship Jesus Christ. That's your design. If you put anything else in the fuel tank, right, then your machine, your body, your person, your spirit will run incorrectly. You are designed to worship Jesus Christ, and that's where your fulfillment is going to come from. That's where your satisfaction, the longing goes away, right? You can get rid of that thirst if you quench it with Jesus Christ. It came to pass, 513, when Joshua was by Jericho. Now, this is interesting. Right? He, he has you know, had all of this encounter in the Passover and all these things, and now he's gone up close to Jericho. And, and it's almost like this is, you know, the, the commander-in-chief uh, surveying what lies ahead of him, examining what is there. He goes up by Jericho. This is double walls, right? The uh, uh, you know, outer was... 10 foot thick, roughly. Uh, it, it had various depths, but it was basically 10 foot thick. There was a 12 to 15 foot separation between the outer wall and the inner wall. The inner wall was 20 feet thick. Each of them had had various heights along the path, but they were at a minimum 30 feet high at a maximum 40 feet high. So formidable, to say the least. If you're going to attack uh, Jericho, you've got to have war machine that's immeasurable. Nobody has uh, conquest power in this ancient world that's capable of handling Jericho. He knows that uh, from what's been told to him, and he's seen it at a distance, and now he's walking close enough, maybe at a safe distance probably, but he's walking close enough to get an accurate survey of what he's up against. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. That's, uh, you know, there's it, there's a, a law within our culture of brandishing a weapon. Okay, if if you have you know a handgun or you know anything, your jackknife. If you pull that out and you hold it in such a way that it demonstrates you're ready to use it, uh, that's brandishing a weapon, and it can be taken as a threat. Okay. Uh, the laws of our land, and, and, and I'm not just taking us through some civics course, the laws of our land are based in these laws. 
you see somebody with their sword in their hand like this, you have the legal right to draw your own sword and be on the ready. Right? You know, it isn't, it isn't a, um, uh, a cordial thing to have your sword in your hand this way. Right? This isn't, this isn't a, a fine, how do you do? You know, well, why is your sword in your hand is sort of the thought here. Joshua went to him and said, are you for us? Or for for our adversaries, for us or against us, but you know it's it's more the idea of you are you on our team or their team is is what he's he's asking. You know, this close to the wall, having your sword in your hand might not be a bad idea. So who the heck are you? You got your sword in your hand? You on our team or are you on their team? So he said no. And it's I think every preacher makes a point about this. I like it, right? Are you on our team or on their team? No, I'm not on either team. And that that answer is it, it's very significant. Okay, it's very significant, right? Because you would expect as we move forward that this commander of the host of heaven would have said, I'm on your team. And he says, no, I'm not on your team. And I'm not on your enemy's team either. I'm not on either one of these teams, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. I'm not on your team. I'm not on their team. What we're going to get to, the punchline is, you need to be on my team, Joshua. Why? I'm the conquering team. I'm the victorious team. I'm only victorious. I only conquer. I only win. Are you on my team is, is, is what should be asked here. Honestly, you guys, right? Think about this. Like, just back up into your own life a little bit. I've heard many times people say, God is against me. No, God's not against you, right? In fact, he's, he's not even so much against those that are truly his enemies, that may seem strange for you to process what it is, right? He's the victorious one, and we should all be on his team. Now, this is why it is so appropriate for the health, wealth, and prosperity teachers to say, you just need to demand of God that he give you his victory. You want God's victory? Join his team, right? Get aligned with him, Stop being aligned with only yourself. Lose your plan. Let him reveal to you his plan. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said uh, to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Now, uh, I want you to notice something as we move forward. Uh, this is the Lord in person. Uh, how does that work? I'm not even going to try to explain it. Right? There are key indicators within this, the first of which is Joshua worships him, and this one does not stop him from worshiping. And it is the sense of worship. right? It's not just honor. He worships this one that is before him. We can jump forward to the book of Revelation and see John fall down before the angel and worship him. And the angel stops him and says, see that you do not do that. 
because I am a servant of the Lord such as yourself. I'm your fellow servant. Angels always stop people from worshiping them. They can fall down in fear. They can fall down in honor. They can fall down in horror, but they are never allowed to worship angels. Angels stop them from doing that. This one does not stop Joshua from worshiping him. Secondly, he makes confession of you're my Lord, Kyrios. You have authority over me and I am your servant. What is it that I'm supposed to be doing in this moment? Follow what is said. Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. It's interesting, you guys, to consider how much this sounds exactly like Moses meeting the Lord at the burning bush, right? Consider Exodus chapter three, beginning at verse four, when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look at the burning bush. He called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. I would say in regard to Moses and Joshua that they were in very wicked locations. And yet the Lord said, this is holy ground. We very often uh, look at the sinful circumstances around us and think, this is such a wicked world that I live in. There's holy ground even inside the most wicked of locations. What makes the difference? The presence of the Lord, right? This is just an old warehouse that we're in here. You can find yourself on holy ground in the presence of the Lord here, in your home, in your car, where you recognize the Lord is with you. Take off uh, your shoes. That's a thing that's widely debated. What what does that mean? Well, um, think about Jesus washing the apostles' feet, right? Uh, The reason their feet needed to be washed and Peter says, if you're going to bathe me, then bathe all of me. And Jesus says, I've already cleansed you, right? You have need only that I wash your feet. It's the idea that we've been completely cleansed in the salvation blood of Jesus Christ. But there is the daily walking in this world that taints us, that needs to be washed away. Take off your shoes. Why? Because they walk around in that filth all the time. <laughs> You need to have the conscious understanding of my continuous day-to-day walk is not clean. That which I walk in daily is not clean. And I need to have no separation, right? Not even that thin barrier of your shoes between you and the Lord. You need to have that direct contact with him. Let him touch you. Let his holy ground touch touch your flesh. It's an interesting picture that the Lord is giving us. Why? Because he's, he's about to go conquer Jericho, but it's going to be in the strength of the Lord. It's, it's not going to be in his strength. Those of us that know the situation, right? The Lord flattens the city, not, not Joshua. 
not his great strength and his military prowess. It's the Lord that does these things. Very reflective of when uh, Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah were coming back to build the city, right, that had fallen into sin and been conquered, 586 BC, they're all taken away, and now Nehemiah, especially Ezra, have heard from the Lord, and they've gone back to build, and when they arrive, they've been gone for 70 years, right? Have you ever been back to a location that you used to go to when you were a kid or something, and, you know, you know, 10, 20 years of growth has occurred there undisturbed. Nobody's been pruning. Nobody's been cutting back. It's completely overgrown. It's changed, right? The city is overgrown 70 years. It's lie in ruins, burned with fire, torn down by the enemies of Israel. And they come back with this great dream of, oh, we're going to rebuild Israel. This is going to be, and it's mountains of rubble overgrown by everything for 70 years and they are completely disheartened right they had a patriotic dream and now they're staring at a ruinous heap and the spirit speaks Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel not by might nor by power but by the spirit says the Lord of hosts that's how we're going to see things built. That's how we're going to see conquests take place. This is how we're going to find victory is through the Lord's spirit, which is what uh, the commander of the Lord's army is saying to Joshua in this situation. Now, you know, seeing commander, you know, I, I, I hate to just say it out, but probably Jesus, right, here in, in, in appearance, commander of the Lord's, armies here uh, we see different commanders throughout the scripture michael the archangel is a commander in the army there's a great reference in revelation chapter 12 at verse 7 war broke out in heaven michael and his angels fought with the dragon the dragon and his angels fought but they did not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer so the great dragon was cast out the serpent of old called the devil and satan who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. There is a spiritual war that is going on right now. What's going on in Ukraine? What's going on in Iran? Launching at Iraq today, Israel, and its circumstances. There, there is a spiritual war that is taking place right now. Where we're, we're the refugees <laughs> caught in the midst of it is what's going on battle over the will of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse 14, uh, are angels not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister those who will inherit salvation? If you've never read uh, Billy Graham's book, Angels, amazing, amazing uh, account of, of all that has transpired in the scripture and uh, even uh, in you know modern Christianity about the effects and influences of of angels. Um, I had an occasion uh, when I was in jail, I had surrendered my life to Christ, turned myself in. Most of you know my testimony. And uh, a fellow inmate came to me and said, man, I see you always reading your Bible and talking to people about Jesus and going to these Bible studies. And I, I need to talk to you because I was raised 
in Christianity, but I rejected that. And I just, I think maybe I need to look into it more. And so we sat down, uh, he had gotten a Bible from the chaplain and I had one and we uh, just started looking at the word together and, and the Lord, uh, not my skill or, you know, abilities the Lord, uh, led us through a number of things. And, and in that time that we were there, uh, 20 minutes, a half hour in my jail cell, uh, he surrendered his life to Christ all on his own, just came to the realization of, I have been an idiot as we looked at the word of God together. And we're just filled with a joy uh, over this whole thing as we're pouring over these different passages of scripture. And while we're talking, um, you know, regardless of what you've seen in the movies, uh, cell doors and jails are, are solid, right? They're not bars. And uh, we had just pulled the door shut uh, without locking it, without latching it. And so it was closed. And uh, so we're reading and talking about all these different things. And uh, all at once, uh, my door's being opened up. And we look over, and there's three inmates uh, standing there that are like, uh, where, where did you get that? And, and me and this guy, Rob, uh, we're, we're asking, like, like, where do we get what? And they're like, the radio. Where did you get the radio? Uh, you can't have a radio in, uh, in jail where we were at the time. And, and long story short, as we're talking, they're sitting outside my cell playing cards on one of those iron picnic tables. And they hear music pouring out of my cell. And as they looked over, they said that they saw a group of people inside our cell. And my whole cell was radiating light. And they could hear music pouring out of my cell. He and I are just in there uh, pouring over the scripture, reading. And they opened the door up. And they said, I mean, they went on and on for like 10 minutes about how when they came over and opened the door, it all stopped. He and I, Rob and I, are just laughing our heads off now. You know, he's he's like laying on my cot, just laughing his head off, with the realization in his own heart and his own mind that we were in the presence of the Lord, holy ground in the midst of Penobscot County Jail, and, and others witnessed it. Others others came and testified to us as to what was happening. You know, we are told in the scripture that when we gather together here in this room this morning, that the angels are here with us. Consider that. Consider that. It actually says, encourages us to make sure that our conduct is according to the word of God so that we don't offend the angels that are here with us. Okay? There's a holiness to our conflict that is outside our earthly vision. Joshua steps into it here in this moment. And the Lord says to him, you're presently on holy ground. You, you and I need to become aware of that. Right? And, and I'll say this. Part of that is the circumcision of the heart. The flesh gets thick. And it keeps us from feeling the things that we should Christ wants that cut away from our hearts. 
so that we could hear him, that we could respond to him, that we could understand him. Again, I say to you, you've had that happen, haven't you? You've gone to the conference, you've gone to the study, and the Lord pierced your heart and trimmed away, and you were so sad. And like I said, you might have even cried. The touching of the Lord, the obedience to God, makes Joshua sensitive to the presence of the Lord, and he finds himself bowing before the Lord in preparation for victory. Let the Lord prepare each one of us. Amen. Read 15 again. The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. We, we need to make sure that we recognize the presence and power of God and that we obediently respond to that presence and what the Lord would call us to do. Amen? Amen. So we'll pick up with six uh, next week as they move forward toward the city. Let's stand and we'll pray. And uh, I again encourage you uh, to stay in fellowship when we're done. Say hello to your brother or sister, spend some time getting to know one another a little more. Father, we thank you for your word. It's great work in our lives, and we ask that you would help us to submit to you. Lord, help us to be conscious and aware of you, that we could see your work being performed in our lives. Lord, we definitely want that victory. We long for it. We want to see our enemies conquered. We want to see your promises fulfilled. Help us to meet our portion in agreement that we would see your kingdom come and your will be done, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.